Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have my friend James Dudley of James Dudley Guided Hunts on the line. James, how you doing? I'm good, Jay. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Since we last talked, I think you had a baby. Yeah, I did. Um, exactly three months ago. So he's doing great. His name's Clayton Bear Dudley, and he's a little pink. He's a giant little baby, but he's a really <laughs> happy baby, too. He's nonstop smiling and laughing. That's like his thing. That's- Smiling and laughing, so I got lucky. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I got to ask, did he did he come out of the womb with a coos deer rack in his hand? <laughs> no, he did not. Um, <laughs> he would have wanted he's to already, if he had a choice. <laughs> yeah, I've already got some pictures of him holding some antlers, but um, yeah, he's doing he's doing really well. Good for you. The last time we talked, um, we we. We talked, I believe, about 6A and 21 deer, um, which we'll cover today. Um, we also have had some podcasts about uh, you guys finding that big bull up there, uh, up in the sevens unit, and um, tracking that sucker down and getting him killed. Beautiful bull on the late hunt. Um, I don't think we've talked to recap uh, how your elk season went last year. I know you had come off. Uh, a 2016 elk season that was a fantastic season for you guys um how was your 2017 elk season uh in arizona it was it was fun i'll put it that way but it was it was frustrating being uh somebody who takes pride in knowing what animals are supposed to do uh, but we had, we had, I like they, they threw you for a loop. Did, did yeah, you get they did. They did. Um, we, I'm just hard on myself, but we had a good season. We, my hunting partner killed a good bull up in eight in the early archery tag or archery bull tag. And, um, we put a ton of time and effort scouting that unit all summer and running a bunch of cameras and glass and bulls, videoing bulls and had everything ready set and thought we were going to have a bunch of big bulls around and of course big bulls do what they do and they decided to uh go disappearing on us um you know prior to the hunt a couple days and weeks before the hunt and um it just turned into a tougher hunt than than uh we were kind of expecting um Last year, that that moon phase was full moon, like midway through the hunt, and the bulls were out all night long. Every night, we could hear bulls just going crazy all night, and then as soon as that, before that sun would come up, they would all shut up and head for the pine trees, it seemed like, and so we got uh, kind of stuck playing around in the pine trees and also last year in Arizona that wind on the early archery bull tag it was really windy um which we're not really used to that time of year but it just made for a tough hunt um yeah we still had a good time and got a good bull killed one thing to point out um the listeners out there 
when you talk about, you know, scouting all summer, you know, taking video, getting great trail camera pictures of velvet bulls, we've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, was it one of those things that you had so much consistency with some of the bulls that you just figured that they would stay right there? Or was it always in the back of your mind that you were nervous that they were going to leave and the pattern that you had noticed and witnessed all summer was going to change? Um, or did you truly feel like those bulls were going to stay right there in the immediate area? Um, the whole time running cameras, you kind of know that they're going to move. Um, they're going to leave. Maybe one or two will stick around in the in the area that you've been seeing them all summer. But last year, literally every big bull we had on camera um, – didn't necessarily disappear, but they went a long ways. Um, a couple of them, I'm sure, uh, went up to Unit 10. I'm positive that they went that way because we could see progression on a couple different trail cameras and starting south and heading north in a couple days, and then they're gone for good. So you kind of know what happened to those bulls. Um, a couple bulls did stick around, but you just kind of know that you're putting all this work in, but you, you know that they're going to move, but you just want to be able to hopefully find them and that they stay in your unit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, there's all sorts of cases out there where bulls, you know, are in nine all summer and they end up down in seven west or they end up in seven east or they end up in unit 10 or, you know, bulls in eight end up in 10 or they end up across the road and, you know, going to the west, or you know, it it it's it doesn't really matter where you're at. It seems like those elk are constantly, um, you know, getting ready to move and on the move, and um, and the same thing. Those bulls are moving into the unit as well, but it's a little bit hard when you kind of try to establish a pattern, and then they change that um, from a bugling standpoint uh, in unit eight. I hear you talk about a lot of bugling at night uh, in the tent, listening to them bugle. Uh, how was your daylight hours bugling throughout that uh, early season? Um, you know, most of the hunt, the daylight hours, they they weren't too vocal. Um, it wasn't horrible or anything, but you'd like to hear them a little bit more than, than we did. Um, but... Yeah, at night, middle of the night, every single night, just they're all over the place. And um, there's, a, there's a little bit of private property up there, and, of course, uh, that's kind of where they like to uh, hang out and um, play all night and then disappear uh, into the pine trees after that. So sure. that's kind of how that talk went. about the you talk about the pine trees, um, a lot of our units in Arizona, you know, we've got pinyon juniper and some of the lower transitional type country that's really the elk really like, um, you know, some of the oak and, and, you know, some of that different timber. But then a lot of our units have ponderosa pine thickets, and you talk about those bulls, um, you know, going to the pines. Uh, from a listener out there that maybe is not, you know, totally familiar with Arizona elk hunting or, or their patterns and what have you, what are the challenges when elk get in the ponderosa pines uh, for you as, as someone that likes to hunt bulls 
you know, predictable bulls and what have you, when they get in the pines, what, what challenges does that bring? Okay. Um, I'll tell a little story about that last year's hunt and kind of go into the pine trees. But we, so opening morning last, last year, we had a big seven by seven bull located. He had about 10 cows with them and he was down in the junipers. Um, and we watched him until it got dark the night before the hunt. So the morning opening morning, we were the only ones on that bull and we snuck out in the dark, knew about where they were going to be and got right up close to them before the sun came up and we're, we were playing the wind the whole time. And we were in there for over an hour with all the elk, just kind of hanging out, waiting for that big bull. And we could see cows running past. We could see little bulls running past and we never got a, a clean shot at that big bull but we were able to stay in there with them for over an hour until finally it seemed like the, the lead cow spotted us and then they all ended up blowing out of there and uh, took off. But so we were able to hang with them for a long time up in the pine trees. You, it's really hard to get that close um, because they can see you from a long ways away. Um, as opposed to like the junipers or cedars, uh, it's more flat and their, their view is blocked, um, almost until they're in shooting range. But in the pine trees, you know, with the terrain, they can be a couple hundred yards away on the other side of a canyon or down in a canyon or up on a hill, down on a hill. And they're smart enough to know that they're not coming to most calls and they're not, um, going to come check out anything unless they can see the elk so they can see people um, and that seems like that's where all the people ended up also up in the pine trees okay. does that make sense James wouldn't you yeah wouldn't you agree though um, for those people listening outside of Arizona a lot of our ponderosa pine forests uh, the forest service has gone in and done quite a bit of thinning and and um so what you have is basically your ponderosa pine, but there's not a lot of uh, smaller brush or vegetation. And so in other words, in a lot of that ponderosa pine, those thickets, um, you can see a couple hundred yards in most direction. And so those elk, what I've noticed is they use that to their advantage. And when you say they're not going to come unless they see an elk, well, you know, in most situations, an elk will come until they, you know, can use their eyes to, to see. Um, you know, and Chris Rowe talks about, you know, um, see you first, hear you second, smell you third. Mm -hmm. um, but would you agree that when you get in those situations, you know, Unit 8, um, you know, has a ton of that. Uh, unit 3C has a ton of that. Uh, uh, some in Unit 1, uh, you know, some of those units, uh, 6A has a bunch of that where, you know, they can see for two or 300 yards in a lot of situations, and so it makes it very difficult to get close to them before you can actually start calling, whereas in the junipers, most junipers, you know, are, say, from one juniper to another, and they're bushier, you know, they're 15 yards apart, and so you can kind of just zigzag through the junipers, and the visibility is very, very minimal, and so it allows you to get a lot closer 
to those bulls. Um, and I think that would be a tip for anybody out there hunting coming up in, in September is, you know, definitely if, you, if you've got elk in the pinion junipers, um, in the cedars, as James calls them, uh, a lot of times you can get much closer to those elk and have a lot better opportunity to shoot them with a bow because of the, you know, the, the, their lack of being able to see uh, long distances where, but then they move into those pines, I think, because they, they can see. They still have cover for some shade and bedding down and what have you, but I almost think they use that ability to see as a mechanism to, you know, for safety. Um, and then, you, you know, you get a bunch of hunters charging around in the ponderosa pines, you know, it, it, it becomes a bit of a circus for sure. Yeah, it seemed like uh, it took the elk about one day, two days to figure out that there was a bunch of people running around um, in the area where they haven't been making noise, blowing calls and stuff. And so yeah. then after they realize that they're smart enough to know that they're well, not all the time, but they're smart enough sometimes to know that they want to see something before they go check it out. And they'll just bugle. They'll, you can keep a bull bugling for a long time, a couple hundred yards away. And sometimes they'll just sit there and bugle, 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 and try and send your hunter over there and do that stuff. But, um, yeah, they definitely can use their, their, sight a lot better in the pine trees we're going to talk about deer on this episode but before we do that um you've had some good success on late hunts and kind of pinpointing and figuring out bulls um curious if last season did you have any um guided late hunts that that uh you know you were excited about or did you do any at all i'm curious i i, I I was asking about the late hunt. Uh, normally on the late hunts, you have um, some hunters and you're able to pinpoint some bulls like that big bull you did in 2016. Did you have some late hunts this year, late elk hunts this last yeah, year? Yeah, we did. We had a couple brothers that we guided, um, and we had a good time out there too. We went back up in the sevens again. Um, actually, that's where we're going to be this year too. And... Um, yeah, so, um, let's see, that hunt, that was a good hunt, too. Um, this this past year, I had the same, same type of thing. Um, a couple bulls located the night before the opener, two shooter bulls and then one kind of raghorn. And so I just stayed up until it got dark videoing them, and... I was the only person around on the glassing hill, nobody underneath me, anything. And so I was like, all right, it's going to be perfect. Went back to camp, showed the hunters, the bulls, and um, decided that's where we were going to start. And then next morning we get out there and we're early, like, I don't know, maybe an hour before the sun's coming up. And we parked the truck and start walking and somebody had already got in front of us and parked close and I knew they didn't know that those bulls were there. So I was like, I don't even know where these people are. Let's just go up on this glassing hill and wait for the sun to come up. So we get halfway up on our glassing hill and I see like six headlamps walking across the, the, the hill exactly where the bulls 
were hanging out the night before. And they ended up walking exactly, like, to the exact tree that, that I was videoing all these bulls um, the night before. And they obviously had no idea that they were there. And the who knows where the bulls ended up after that. I mean, I found them, uh, like, a day or two later. But they ended up bumping them um, in the dark. And I don't know where the hunters were headed, but they, they ended up walking right through these bulls. And so that kind of, that's how that hunt kind of started. <laughs> did those bulls but end up coming back to their to their home spot, or did they get blown out for good? Yeah, so they ended up in the same same area basically. Um, they moved, you know, a mile, a uh, mile and a half. Um, but an, another funny thing about that is the the next day on the same hill i'm like well maybe those bulls will be back on that hill so we start at a different spot but we had the big glass so we could look at that hill to check and see if those bulls ended up over there and the raghorn ended up over there and the same the same guys that hiked across there in the dark the day before parked a little ways away and they were were gone from their truck out hiking around and that bull as soon as he saw the sun coming up he took off running and headed for the the shade and ended up running right to their truck, like within 50 yards of their truck. And then, <laughs> and we were just waiting the whole time. We're like, gosh, that thing is any second now, somebody's going to shoot that bull. And nobody ended up shooting it. So those guys yeah. didn't know it, but they were really close to bulls that whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um it's funny how that works out sometimes, man. So, right. Uh, yeah. Talking about deer um, coming up, we've got the deadline, I believe, June twelfth um, uh, for the for the uh, sheep and the uh, deer in Arizona and the buffalo. Um, I know your coos deer nut um, shot that big giant buck a couple years ago with your bow. Um, you you routinely guide guys um, on those. Uh, archery and on the um, rifle hunts. Uh, first and foremost, um, we, we talk about conditions a lot on this podcast. I know you are out there quite a bit scouting. I know you're running a bunch of trail cameras and constantly out in the woods. Um, what are you seeing out there in, in you know the units that you like to hunt? Obviously, it's dry, but um, give a little bit further explanation of what you're seeing. All right, so a lot of the tanks are dry right now. Um, the dirt tanks? Yeah, the the push dirt tanks. Um, they dried, a lot of them dried up within the past month, and they're more than, more than I thought, actually, would be dry. But that being said, in the desert, there is still water, um, I'm not going to say everywhere, but every little cut and canyon collects water. Um, sometimes they dry up. Sometimes they flow year-round. Sometimes they'll have one big, huge pool that nobody knows about. And so all the animals know where to go to get water. Um, just because a few tanks dry up, that all that means is the cattle probably aren't in there. It uh, doesn't mean the... The deer move, I mean the elk can move, but coos deer, they have backup water sources. They don't 
if they don't have to use a big push tank, they're not even going to use it anyways. They'll go find a puddle or a spring somewhere. And so, yeah, it's really dry out there. Um, the feed's not great, but there's still plenty of water in the desert for coos deer to survive. So I know everyone's worried talking? about antler growth for elk and deer, but that's a different subject. Just for them to stay where they normally stay, there's there's plenty of water out there still. Are you talking um, kind of specifically 21 and 6A um, when, when you're talking about kind of in those desert areas? Um, yeah, you're, so you're saying, you're saying the dirt tanks are dry, but there's seeps and they're finding yeah. water. You're not seeing those canyon spots that have water. You're not seeing them dry up yet. No, not 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 yet. Um, and I'm talking about in the past month. I'm talking about unit 21, 20B, 19A, 6A. Um, the 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 spring that I know of and check and the, the cuts that have running water or puddles of water, they haven't dried up yet. So for, we're talking coos deer. There's still plenty of water out there for coos deer. Okay. With the um, hunt structures uh, this year, um, I, I noticed that they've got, you know, they obviously have like 21 mule deer tags. They've got, you know, November 2nd through November 8th, and then they've got December 14th through the 31st. They've got a 20-tag mule deer hunt in 21, um, as well as, um, let's see, 21 for coos deer. They've got an October hunt, a November 9th through the November 15th, kind of a middle hunt, and then they've got a 30-tag. Um, December 14th through the 31st, um, 30 tag, uh, we'll call it a late December hunt. When they've moved 6A, or excuse me, when they've moved 21 um, as well as 6A, I believe, to that three hunt structure, October, November, and December, um, what have you seen as far as pressure on the deer um, do you like the change? Because I believe it is a change to have three hunts. I believe they just had a, either, I think it was an October hunt, no November hunt, and then, you know, a December hunt. Um, yeah. Is it, is it added pressure? What's your thoughts, um, you know, as far as on the deer themselves? Do you think it matters, or what's your thoughts? I like it. Um, I like it because there's less people in the field um, at any specific time. So if it was like that for mule deer, I might not like it as much in those units, but for coos deer, they're more secluded. And in, in the central Arizona, it's not like um, they're off the side of the road everywhere like some mule deer can be. Uh, so if you have like in 21, 300 tags, in a week and then you wait a week and put another 300 tags in there. I just like that better. Um, cause there's not everybody. I think there used to be 650 pe tags in there on one week. And that was just too many. There's people everywhere just tromping around and kicking up deer. So, so James, in other words, by, by, Splitting it into two hunts, you felt like when it was 600 and some people, 
that in order for people to feel like they had to get away from other people, it made them trounce around in areas maybe that you would go in that are harder to get to, but when it's only half of that, they kind of stay on, it, it, from your perspective, what I'm reading into that is the, the general public on both of those hunts kind of just stay in those more easy to get to areas um, where when it was 600, they were forced to go into more remote areas into some of the pockets and stuff that, that you know, you talk about deer, you know, the coos deer being isolated kind of in a more secluded pockets. Am I reading that right? Yeah, I just don't think that they see um, as many people per year, I guess, uh, or per fall uh, because everyone's not in there. Because when you have that many people in a unit like 21 where people are going to be congregated in certain spots, yeah, it's, people are just, if, if you hike to a glassing spot and you look around and you see five other hunters, well, then you're going to keep hiking. And then same thing, you get to the next spot and you see a couple more guys, you're going to keep hiking. And so um, that that issue, I just don't think, I don't think it it comes up as much when there's half the amount of guys in the, in the forest or in the desert. Yeah. When you, um, in talking about the, the later December hunts uh, in 21 and in 6A, has it been your experience that um, you do see quite a bit of rutting activity as far as, you know, bucks chasing does, um, bucks on the move, checking scrape lines, um, maybe compared to some of the southern Arizona units, I mean, seems as though the central Arizona units, you know, the, the 6As, the 21s, the 22s, the 23s, it does seem like after Christmas you do get quite a bit more activity um, compared to maybe some of the units down south that, you know, it's just not time yet. I'm curious your thoughts on on that type of movement on those hunts, those December hunts. So the mule deer in late December are definitely uh, rutting. They're breeding, they're chasing does, and the coos deer, not, I w definitely wouldn't call it rutting, but they're, they're on their feet a lot more during the day. Um, you can glass coos deer up pretty much any time of day, that time of year, and they'll hit water all day long that time of year. Um, we had one tank that we were sitting and we would have deer coming into that, coos deer coming into that tank all day from sunup to sundown. They would be there any time. And it was, there was a lot of them too, and that was part of that whole drought that we're still in. Was We were affected by that in December even. And um, they all had their one one spot where they were going to get water. So they're on their feet a lot more in late December, but they're not, they're not rutting up there. They're not breeding. Yeah. Um, I noticed that 21 and 6A, they do not allow archery hunting in December, but then they both allow archery hunting the month of January. Uh, on those later rifle hunts, um, obviously you've got mule deer hunt, hunters to contend with. 
but from a pressure standpoint, it's it's pretty awesome, is it not? Oh yeah, yeah. That, but both of those hunts, um, the coos deer and the mule deer hunt, rifle hunts for six A and twenty one, those are really good hunts. Um, I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but there's some big deer in both of those units that you can find in December. Um, mule deer and coos deer. There's, when, it's a lot easier to find about, them, and, and they're big. When you're talking about mule deer hunts, um, both of those units, December 14th to the 31st, 6A has uh, 15 mule deer tags, uh, and 21 has 20 tags. Just on a mule deer basis, would you rather have the 6A mule deer or the 21 mule deer? For me, no-brainer, 6A. Well, it's just more bucks or bigger bucks, less bucks, but bigger or more bucks or what? Um, from what I see, there's bigger deer up there, and um, it's more hunter it's hunter friendly, I guess you could say. 21 can get pretty rugged in that time of year. Um, you never know what you're going to get, and 6A. Um, there's m way more deer up in 6A also, but it's just not, it, I don't think it's as brutal. Um, if you know how to hunt them and where to glass from and find a bunch of good glassing, then you'll be able to look over a ton of deer up in 6A. Okay, good to know. Uh, let's talk a little bit here on the October hunt, the November hunt, and then the December hunt from a um, patterning deer standpoint. Um, if out of those three seasons, um, for, for you or someone that you're going to guide, if you had to pick the season that you could only get one tag, and you, you know, you, you, people would call and say, hey, I want to I go on a guided hunt with you, um, which hunt would that be and why? Which season would that um, be why? Well, for me, I I would always choose the the January archery deer over the counter archery deer just because both species are rutting at that time and the way we hunt, we glass and uh, spot and stock walk people in and it's it's pretty easy to go out there and find some good deer, some shooter deer. Um, the only problem is that time of year, they're not exactly patternable, but it, they're easier to find. Um, Patterning-wise, that early archery, the August and the first week of September, uh, coos deer are pretty easy to, to pattern that time of year, in my opinion. I missed uh, you're saying in the early season in the velvet, like the August hunt, or are you talking about the October hunt? August, the archery. Okay. Velvet. Okay. Um, so you you would pick both archery seasons over the rifle seasons um, as far as patterning deer. Well, what about yeah? Well, what about the October hunt where they've just shed their velvet? 
Um, do you find if you know, speaking specifically about coos deer, um, you know, in their home ranges and tight, tight, you know, corridor and what have you, that they, they travel, um, the, the downside from what I guess, you know, from what I've seen over the years is October, you, you can get really warm weather and get very little activity. Yeah. How important is it that you know the bucks there? You don't need them to go dancing around the hillside too much. You just need to, you know, m make sure you can get on them and find them. Talk a little bit about that October season and time frame, and how important it is to really pattern a buck all summer. And and do you see those bucks mostly in October being, you know, at the end of October right there? Yeah. So they're they're not going far uh, that time of year. They're in a very tight uh, pocket that they don't hardly ever travel out of if they don't have to. And most of the time, that's all, the only issue with that time of year is, like you said, the activity level. Um, they're not on their feet very long that time of year or per day. They're, they're sleeping most of the day. They're not feeding a whole bunch, and they don't need to go get water during the day if, if they can do it at night. So if you know where they're, where they're getting water, um, and where, if you glass them up, say you glass up a deer in September and he's just on a hillside feeding or going to get water, hanging out, there's a good chance he's going to be right there a month later in October when you have that that rifle tag or eat the first tag or the second tag doesn't matter to me. I'd take the second tag just as much as I'd take the first tag. Um, because of how, how, uh, tight their circle is They're They're in there. You, you will be able to find them. Uh, if you, if you can glass where their, where their home range is, they're not going to go far that time of year. Um, especially if, if there's water close. And if, even if the water's far, they're going to come right back to that spot. They'll go drink their water and come back to their home range. They get real comfortable in, you know, a tiny little spot and just stay there. They don't, they don't like moving around. They feel unsafe. I'm looking at the um, moon chart, moon phase chart for... Um, October 2018 and it's full on the 24th of October and that October hunt in 21 and in 6A starts on the 26th uh, which yep. is a Friday and so pretty much uh, the entire that entire hunt you know you'll be dealing with a, a real strong uh, heavy full moon um, as opposed to uh, November uh, whereas your your uh, new moon is on November 7th. Just looking at the moon phase alone, hearing you talk about, you know, the October or the November, you'd take either one. Um, it appears that the November hunt uh, in, in 6A and 21 and, and across the board and all the units that we're talking about pretty much in Arizona, um, it seems like that November hunt with the new moon Seems like you'd have quite a bit more daylight activity movement. Um, just curious your thoughts, just specifically this year on you know the full moon kind of falling on the October and it being a new moon on the on the second hunt. 
Um, does that make you change your mind as to, you know, telling people which hunt would be a better hunt? Yeah, I actually just had that conversation with a guy from Missouri that's going to come out um, and hopefully draw that second tag because you're two weeks later, the chance of it being cooler is higher, which if it's cooler, just in general, they're going to be on their feet more. And then you have no moon as opposed to full moon, and in general, that's going to keep them on their feet more during the day also. So for me, I not to mention draw odds, the draw odds on the, the second hunt are way better than the draw odds on the first hunt. So if you want to actually get drawn, I would definitely put in for the second hunt as opposed to the first hunt. I think it would be a better hunt this year. Um, of course, some of the big bucks are going to get killed on that first hunt, but not all of them. And if you have a couple different bucks located where people aren't going to find them or hopefully not going to find them, they're going to be there on that second hunt. Even if somebody goes in there and bumps them, and as long as they don't kill them, they're going to be back there on that second hunt. Yeah, good stuff. I'm also looking at the moon phase um, for the listeners out there on the December hunt. Um, it's a new moon on December 7th, and it's full on December 22nd. So two-steer hunters, uh, <laughs> pretty much this year, um, it's, it's a kind of a rough patch because uh, you know, that hunt starts on December 14th. It's a first moon, so it would be a quarter moon on the 15th. Um, but then that whole first week, you know, you're you're hunting into a full moon with it being full on the 22nd. And then, in other words, you're going to have quite a bit of moon that whole December hunt. Here, here's a question for you. Um, is dry, you know, it's pretty dang dry. Um, and then we've, you're going to be contending with the full moon on that hunt where, you know, and guys may say, oh, Jay, he's a pessimist. He, he, he's negative. He, he, he you know, he, he always brings <laughs> up these things. Well, <laughs> I've done this long enough that right. I know that it matters. Um, yep. but you know, we're, we're in the application game right now with the deadline, you know, June 12th. I think it's something you definitely have to consider. Um, and you definitely, you know, I try and look at all factors, everything, in order to make a good decision. Not saying it's going to say, hey, I'm not going to apply, but definitely, um, you know, it, it makes that November hunt look pretty darn good when you've got your October hunts full moon and the December hunts pretty much the whole time is full moon. Um, I'm curious if, if your thoughts of, colder temperatures and what have you would negate that, that moon in December? Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, colder temperatures and uh, just to see how the drought is, is right then. Uh, even this last December, like I was saying earlier, it, it was definitely drought. Like we were in a drought in December and there was still coos deer on their feet all day long. So, yeah, um, that moon does play a big part, but I, I don't know. I, I would, okay, stop I would you probably roll the dice. The yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it might make it a harder hunt. That's for sure. 
But but don't don't you agree, James? Like I mean, coos deer. What we've noticed in Mexico so much is they're so thin-skinned. I mean, if if we did have a week worth of a cold snap and you know temperatures you know got pretty cold, got cold at night. I mean, it's going to force them to be you know up on their feet during the day, whether there's a you know moon or no moon. And typically, yeah. when there is a full moon. Uh, you know, they're bedded for the first couple hours of light and they're moving during midday anyway. So, I mean, yeah. one could argue with me that it, it actually might make for a great hunt, um, especially if you could get some colder temperatures. Um, but I just wanted to point that out. And then looking ahead and forward, uh, January 2019, um, the, the moon isn't full till the 21st of January. So I feel like for Arizona coos deer hunters, you know, archery hunters, most units are, you know, over the counter um, and open, you know, for sure those first, you know, two, three weeks of January, um, I think you're going to get some awesome, awesome movements and awesome activity. It, it might just be a phenomenal year for that January coos deer hunt. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's prime time for central Arizona coos deer is that whole month of January and they can be on fire starting with the beginning of the month or go all the way through the month. So yeah, that those first three weeks are going to be good next year for sure. I want to take a second and thank the sponsors of this podcast. Go hunt insider has been with me from the beginning. They are the title sponsor of this podcast. I want to encourage everyone out there. If you're not a go hunt insider member, uh, it is the best Western hunting resource out there when it comes to draw odds in looking and breaking down these particular units in each each in every one of these Western states as well as each one of the animals. Uh, I want to encourage you to use the J. Scott promo code when you sign up. And when you do that, when you use the J. Scott, that's all one word, J. Scott uh, promo code, uh, you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card and I'm getting uh, direct messages on Instagram quite often from guys saying they've already spent their 50 bucks or they put their 50 bucks towards another purchase. Um, Go Hunt Insider is a phenomenal resource. I encourage you guys to check it out. Make sure to use the J. Scott promo code. Also want to thank Kuyu.com. That's K-U-I-U.com. Uh, Kuyu uh, makes the best ultralight hunting gear on the market. It's the uh, gear that Dar and I, the clothing, the backpacks, uh, the, the gear that Dar and I wear on all our hunts. Um, encourage you guys to check out kuyu.com. Uh, also, phonescope, uh, phonescope.com. Use the jscott16 promo code. You're going to get a 10% uh, discount there with Phonescope. Uh, and then the Outdoorsman, the Optics Authority. Uh, give those guys a call, 1-800-291-8065. You're going to get a 10% discount when you use the J. Scott promo code. You can also go to outdoorsmans.com. Use the J. Scott, that's all one word, J. Scott promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, James, I want to talk to you a little bit, uh, move on a little bit from the deer. I'll, I'll give you a chance to come back with some concluding thoughts on deer, but um, I believe here in a couple days on the 29th, which is a Tuesday, I believe the Game of Fish is going to be um, talking about uh, the trail cams. From what I understand, at the last commission meeting, there was a push to um, 
or they were talking about potentially banning trail cameras or making you know quarter mile from waterhole. I've heard all sorts of different things. Um, I'm curious your thoughts. You've been using these trail cameras as a tool for a long time. Um, for me, my opinion, if anyone, you know, if any of the commissioners are out there listening to this podcast, I would urge you, this is coming from someone that does not use trail cameras. I use them on my uh, place in Colorado that's, you know, 100% private ground where I'm not interrupting anybody's hunt, but, um, uh, and I, I don't predominantly use trail cameras. I never have, uh, you know, I, I shouldn't say I never have, but I predominantly don't use them. Um, but I, I feel like it would be a, a bad thing, personally, for guys like yourself that are up on seeps and springs and little, you know, little potholes in some of these units in, in central Arizona that don't interfere with anybody else's hunt. Um, you know, you're, you're having fun over the summer. You're gaining intel. Um, you're not bothering your your cameras are not bothering anybody now I, I've been and witnessed up on the Arizona Strip I've witnessed in you know 9 and 10 you know 10 12 14 15 you know trail cameras on one you know barbed wire fence or on you know six on one tree and six on the other tree I understand that it creates um, issues uh, and, and problems um, and maybe there's something to be done in those units where maybe you, you know let the guys run them all summer and then have a date and have all the cameras pulled. Um, you know, I know there's a talk about you know auction tags and what about the governor's tag holder? You know, can they use them or not use them? And you know, I, the last thing we want to do is affect the, the, in my opinion, the dollar amount that comes in. Um, you know, if some guy's willing to pay $250,000 for a, you know, because they have trail camera pictures of a deer, that goes back to our deer. So if now that same guy is only willing to pay 100000 that's $150,000 less. And I know that's all speculative and what have you. So I don't envy their decision that they have to make, James. But one thing I would say is there's a lot of people across the state that are using trail cameras. They're not bothering anybody. It's not in uh, affecting any hunt or any quality of hunt. Um, I would even argue that there are older age class bucks being shot and harvested because of the use of trail cameras, because of, you know, the trail cameras allow uh, us as guides, us as hunters to know what inventory is there and hold off on maybe that three-year-old, three-and-a-half-year-old buck you know, that's a 90-incher to shoot a, you know, 125-inch buck that's, you know, a six-and-a-half, you know, seven-and-a-half-year-old deer, um, talking about two's deer, you know, a mature deer. So that's my two cents. I, I don't want to see any action at all. Um, if there's any action, if, if I had to vote uh, no action to take place, uh, if I was forced to take action, I would say in maybe some of the, you know, units, the strip, maybe some of the real popular elk units, you know, let the guys run the cameras all summer, put a date, whatever date it is, and uh, say the cameras have to be pulled. And um, us as sportsmen, we've got to, we've got to police ourselves. Um, that's my opinion. Obviously, this whole rant, so to speak, has been my opinion. Um, and other people have other opinions. James, I'm going to be curious to, to hear what yours is. But uh, I, I just personally, I, I hate to see 
any sort of ban, any sort of restriction on cameras. Curious your thoughts. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you just said. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm one person that would hate to see any more regulation just handed out or to anybody really, especially all the people that are out there doing the right thing um, and, you know, not affecting anybody else's hunts or um, anything. I just, I just think that the entire ban is not the way to go, obviously. Um, I could still be just fine without running trail cameras. They're a lot of work, as any guide will tell you to run a whole bunch of trail cameras is a ton of work um, it's not easy and they're you know it, it's, it's a ton of work to, to run them right and to have them work right and keep up to date on all of them but and as for the strip and kaibab I said the same thing last year when I talked to you we were kind of talking about the same thing I don't guide up there um, I know that they have an issue up there and I, whatever happens up there, I, I hope that everybody's happy with it. Um, in the other part of the state, central part of the state, I'm running into some issues with people running trail cameras, um, during the hunts. That's like the new thing last year was I would have, uh, trail cameras out on water, salt, springs, trick tanks, game and fish tanks for, you know, a couple months and um, I would be the only camera there or another outfitter camera. You could tell that another outfitter's got a camera there and then it would come time for the hunt and literally the night before the hunt, people would go set their trail cameras on the water sources um, and I would be going and pulling cards before the hunt and see five or six cameras during the hunt you know they're they're checking those cameras, and then after the hunt, when I go pull all my stuff down, they're gone. So I'm not opposed to maybe a season uh, for. I hate saying everybody, but it, if that's what it, if that's what it's going to take, then you'd you know, rather see I a season than I'll a complete ban, right? You'd rather see right. a season that, of trail what, cameras than a complete ban. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. If they want to get rid of them during hunting season um then all abide by the rules i guess but um to outlaw them all together would just be that sounds like a big huge problem that no one's going to be able to enforce and um that just doesn't seem fair for you know 90 percent of the people that are doing everything the right way yeah, I mean, an all-out ban, the, the, the challenge I see with an all-out ban is there's still going to be people that are going to use them. And, you know, the guys that play fair are, are not going to use them, and they're going to be at a disadvantage. The guys that uh, are willing to push the envelope and use them anyway, you know, they're obviously going to get intel and information that others aren't, and they're not playing by the rules. You know it's going to happen. Um you know, if, if there is a quote-unquote season of some sort, I think sportsmen, I think we should be allowed to um, somewhat police ourselves. And, you know, whatever the date may be, if this is what they come up with, you know, whatever the date may be, August 1st or whatever date it may be, 
uh, August 15th or, you know, who knows, that if a sportsman comes across a camera that they're allowed to pull the camera, turn it into the game of fish, let them auction that camera off to the highest bidder and let the money go, you know, to the game of fish department or go to wildlife habitat or go to something like that. I mean, and you say, well, geez, you don't want people pulling your camera. Well, listen, if, if, if it's a season and your camera's found out of season, then it should be pulled. That's kind of the way I look at it. And, um, you know, it's so unfortunate that we've gotten to where we're at, but the reality is we have gotten here. And, um, you know, I just hate to see them do an all-out ban. I hate to see them do a, you know, you got to be a quarter mile from a water source. I don't think that's going to improve or help anything. And if, if anything, that might make things worse. Yeah. Um, so it'll be curious. I'll be curious to see uh, what they do and what, what shakes out from it. Um, like I said, you know, I like to glass them up. Um, I've never been a real big trail camera guy. Definitely on public land, I haven't been a trail, tr big trail camera guy. Um, but, you know, I hate to see guys that really enjoy running them all summer. And even in the off season, you know, after, after Tuesday season, you know, say February, March, April, you know, before the antlers drop, I mean, you can learn so much. Um, with those cameras, I, I just don't really see that, you know, bothering anything. But you know, maybe maybe during the season of of, in, of any season, you know, big game hunting season, maybe maybe that's the solution. Just make sure that you know, no cameras during the hunting season. Um, that might be fairly simple. Um, it, it might be easier said than done. Who knows? But um, any any concluding thoughts from you, uh, James? on anything that we've talked about or any, any new subjects? Um, back to the trail camera thing for one second. So yep. as I understand it, Game and Fish is having a meeting Tuesday night um, and they are streaming that meeting live. Is that correct? I you know that? don't know that specifically, but that's what I've heard. They're going to have some sort of webcast. I, I would that's love to I get a too. copy of the audio of that and, and, and play that audio. Um, I'll see if I can do that um, if, if people aren't able. And, but I believe you can also go on their website and see uh, a recorded copy of the webcast. But uh, I'll okay. check into that. All right, cool. Um, yeah, so concluding thoughts. Um, only thing that I wanted to add is there's quite a few tags in central Arizona that are rifle tags, and they are any antler deer tag. So that means you can shoot a coos deer with antlers or a mule deer with antlers. And in my opinion, most of those hunts, people draw those tags and they, and with the, the mindset that they're going to go shoot a mule deer. Um, it seems to me that coos deer don't really get hunted in those units all that much. Um, if you go through the regs and look, you can see there's a whole bunch of those tags uh, available. And personally, with my own eyes, I've seen big, sometimes giant coos deer in those units. Um, so take that information and do with what you will, but they're in there. And they're in multiple units that have that tag. For sure. And that's a great point to bring up. Um, I'm glad you did. Um, 
James, I want to give you a chance to let the listeners know um, how they can find you. Um, I highly encourage to follow uh, James on his Instagram, which I'll give that out. It's James underscore Dudley uh, 12. Um, but why don't you give the rest of the information, how people can get a hold of you if they have any interest in either your deer hunts, your elk hunts, or whatever you got going. Okay, so my website is jamesdudleyguidedhunts.com. Jay just said my Instagram, and those are basically the two ways to get a hold of me. My phone number is on my website, so call or text me with any questions you have about the draw or deer or elk in Arizona, and I can help you. I can point you in the right direction if you... um, need to be or if you're looking for a guide I, I have a bunch of guides that I talk to and can help people out at any any uh, different spot in the state. I only guide in central Arizona and we're, we're uh, we got a lot on our plate this year already but I, I can definitely point people in the right direction and I can anybody wants to talk deer or elk I can tell you um, where to go, what to do, how to do it, and my opinion on the best way to uh, kill some big deer. Um, Speak, speaking of big deer, um, is Trevor getting a little hard to um, to uh, deal with? Is his, is his head barely fitting through the door after that big, <laughs> beautiful velvet buck that he shot in August with his bow? No, his head is no, still... His head's still buried in the sand because he should have <laughs> shot that 130-inch deer that's on my Instagram that he didn't kill. Um, he ended up killing a 108-inch uh, velvet buck as a beautiful deer, yeah, with his beautiful. bow. But two days prior to that, we were uh, we were. I was actually walking him in on a big giant coos deer that's on my Instagram also, some video of him, and he got to like 14 yards, and the buck was bedded. He had a clear vision of the deer, could shoot him, had vitals ready to go, and he just for some reason could not get his release clipped onto his bowstring. He was there for, I think, nine nine or ten seconds. And then finally the deer saw him and took off and disappeared forever. But um, <laughs> That tends to happen. That, the bigger they get, the more that happens. <laughs> yeah. That was one thing he wanted me to say is make sure you're, make sure you're good with your um, equipment. Make sure you know your equipment and that you won't have any malfunctions when you get ready to shoot on your, your rifle or your bow or your release or anything. So. That's a good well, lesson. He, shot a, he shot a heck of a deer. So tell him I don't feel too sorry for him. I guess, Trevor, you can hear me, so you don't. <laughs> I don't feel too sorry for you. But uh, um, congrats on the beautiful deer, and um, I look forward to seeing what you guys uh, do this year. And, uh, James, it's always great talking to you. You're a great guy. Uh, you do a phenomenal job for your clients. I appreciate you spending some time. Uh, chatting with us and encourage any of the listeners um, if you need to get a hold of James please do so um, he's, a, he's a great great person um, happy that you're a father and know that you'll be passing on uh, 
hunting and, and the outdoor uh, life to your child. That uh, makes me smile. So, uh, buddy, until I see you next time, God bless and uh, take care, okay? All right, you too. Thanks a lot, Jay. All right, buddy. Take care. Uh, bye.